0: There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello leaders and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss and today I am joined by a very special guest, Dr. Charlie Cartwright. Today we're going to we're going to build on Uh, episode that we released a couple weeks ago called policing in america where we talked about racial injustice and divide and that conversation was really taken on from from the perspective of of the police and reform and changes that need to happen there and and one of the things we talked about in that is we got to seek first to understand and then be understood and so today dr charlie is going to just add so much depth and knowledge to that understanding we're going to take on this what is probably the biggest issue in our country which is still social injustice, racial inequity, racism. And we're going to talk about how do we overcome that? And we're not going to be focused on the police or just uh, the African-American community or the Hispanic community or anybody else. We're going to talk about, you know, what are some of the real solutions to this and and get some really incredible insights from Dr. Charlie. So Dr. Charlie Cartwright is a highly sought-after international business consultant, keynote speaker. He's the founder of People Success Labs, a Kansas City-based consulting firm whose sole purpose is to bring out the best in leaders and their teams. Before devoting his work full-time to People Success Labs, Dr. Charlie spent over 20 years of his career working in leadership within Fortune 500 companies. Uh, The practical lessons, insights, and operational excellence that he gained during this time are priceless and contribute to his current passion helping leaders achieve great results by tapping in to their inherent greatness of their people. And everybody listening to this podcast know that the only way to solve social injustice, racial injustice, is through leadership. It's going to be the leadership of all of us. And to take this issue on and to have the conversations that need to be had, we have to have perspective. And today- we're going we're gonna to work on that perspective. And we're going to talk about leadership in, in so many different realms and the great work. Dr. Charlie, if you follow him on LinkedIn, if you're not, you got to follow him. He's got the, the dash, Cash, dash cam wisdom. The, he's releasing videos, you know, during the week, four or five minute videos that are just absolutely amazing. But then he's also doing incredible work and mentoring within his community, and making an impact with with young people there. So, Dr. Charlie, thank you so much for joining me today and, and, and taking the time to spend with, with our listeners. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Dr. Charlie, tell me about the work you're doing uh, mentoring young men and, and, and young leaders.
1: You know, it's fun, uh, Danny, to... You know, they're just... There's so much, you know, hitting the stone, hitting the stone, hitting the stone, and nothing appears to be happening. And then all of a sudden one day you hit the stone and it splits in half. And that was your goal the whole time. And so I feel like that's kind of where I'm at now. There's been a lot of that hitting the stone, hitting the stone. Now all of a sudden... You know, you're starting to see some results and some reach and some things that are good. So, yeah. that's that's exciting. Be able to help a young man. That hey, I understand you're passionate and all these things, but you need to approach this the right way to get the best result. And there's, I've heard it said, uh, "Do you want to be right or you want to be effective?" You know. Yeah. So, and if you're effective, you're gonna be right but you can be right without being effective. And that's, you know, with all the social things we're speaking about today, there's a lot of people that are right in some of the things they're saying, but their words and their actions are not effective. So the message is lost. <clears throat>
0: yeah. It's it's just a really tough time And the, the country. One of the issues with, facing some of the crisis we're facing as a country right now is this whole COVID brain thing. And, and people are just, you know, everybody has a right to be passionate. There's a lot of things that are dead ass wrong that we need to fix and correct. But, but a lot of people aren't in the right frame of mind to be fixing or correcting them. Matter of fact, they're in the frame of mind to be, to be exploding, to be explosive. And that, that's, that's everybody. That ain't one group or another group, you know?
1: It's, it's true. And it's just, I think it, it's so interesting because like with this, uh, you know, we started the NFL season, which I was, I'm not near the sports fan I used to be because I just don't have the time. And, and, uh, and I understand the importance sports plays and bringing people together. So I think that's the usefulness of it. So I really wanted it to start because of that. But I think Open the season, and I understand the, the the thought process was in the right place. But to open the season with, hey, you know what? I'm gonna put this message in your face here. People wanted to; they just wanted to watch football, and they wanted to disconnect. And when we opened with that message, people couldn't disconnect from everything that's gone on. And and it just, I mean, if you would have, even Danny coming in at you know, running a commercial after the first quarter and running another commercial at halftime, NFL. And, you know, but just before the games even start, hey, it didn't go over well. Yeah. You know, and you can say what you want about it, but there's just a way to go about these things. And people are tired for a lot of reasons right now. And they want, you know, uh, sports is a way that, hey, we can all root together and escape a little bit. And then, you know, we can talk to some of that. But it just has, it just didn't go that well, in my opinion. And and uh, I think that you just, you get people more, even more on edge. Um, and people are fatigued because of everything that's gone on and so they need a break and now you didn't provide that break for them. And, uh, yeah, there's a way there's a time for everything, you know? So, but it's just tough, you know, but you gotta, you gotta timing is important in life and you gotta know when to, when to hold them, when to fold. them. Yeah.
0: Well you do. And it's funny just because I've been talking about, you know, this social injustice issue quite a bit and policing in America and the challenges facing policing. And, and just, I'm in a spot right now where it's like, we need to be able to say black lives matter and understand why it's wrong to say all lives matter. Um, and, And, and really just as a country unite around, you know, really being serious about that social justice. And so I thought a lot of things they put together were pretty tactful. But the response I got from friends and, and, and people was was really pretty negative. They're like, look, I deal with this stuff all week. And every feed that I'm in, I just wanted to watch football. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to watch football. And there were people that just turned it off because they were turned off.
1: Right. You and know, it And that's ju- hard. It was. And that I, I just had the same conversation with a friend this morning at breakfast. Said, people just wanted to watch football. And they sat down and watched football and they saw that and it just, it was triggered them, you know, it triggered and not in a good way. And so, uh, but we've got, you know, we got a lot of young people that have a lot of ideas, but they're lacking experience. And uh, even though black lives matter message, like I understand it. And black lives do matter. Now though, you've had so many negative Actions associated with the movement i i you i don't have that anywhere in my social media feeds because i don't want to be associated with the negative activity now and i I've said that you know people that are peacefully protesting are good and they're the majority and the minority but the fact of the matter is it's being so it's being connected mm-hmm. you know it's being connected so for me a good example is baseball. I grew up loving baseball, Danny, a huge baseball fan for many years. And, and because baseball was pure and, you know, how would Babe Ruth do versus Hank Aaron versus, you know, you could compare them because the game hadn't changed significantly. And now, you know, with technology, with the literally manipulate, you know, they talk about leadership, talks about integrity of the game, but then. Sports science prove that you you changed the baseballs. Like the baseball, the interior of the baseball had changed like 13 14%. And that extra flight was why the home run production was up so much. So I'm looking at a guy that hit 40 home runs, comparing him to Hank Aaron when he's not. He hit no. 40 home runs because the baseball was juiced. And, oh, we moved the fences in. And then you got a team using technology to cheat. And they still get to keep their title and their rings and not one single player was suspended. So that kind of was a big turnoff for me to say, I don't, I love the game and I don't have anything against most of the baseball players in that league, but your league has lost integrity. I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. Right. I'm not, you know, steroids. Okay. You can cheat. Then I was shocked at this, Danny, a player complained I think it was last week or the week before he complained because the Major League Baseball is cracking down on video. So he said, I can't watch my at bats anymore, you know, because of all this. And I used to be able to sit down and watch all my at bats and make adjustments. I'm like, you're watching video during a game of the game? Babe Ruth didn't get to do that. Mm -hmm. Hank Aaron didn't get to do that. You shouldn't be able to get to do that. That's to me now that you're crossed over now, or you're all these statistics are you know flawed i mean and it just and so i didn't so i've let baseball go because of that so similar with the black lives matter i i believe in then all people matter black lives and all that but i'm you know i've never put my name behind something that's associated with all this violence and discord and you know in your face uh it just doesn't people's minds aren't changed that way and they're actually put off by it and uh and i'm talking about people that were you know passively supportive right yeah you've moved them away and so now the people that were passively supportive aren't anymore and the other voices get louder and now you've got a disproportionate now you've got you got our situation and uh You just got young people that don't understand it because they don't have enough experience and logic to understand it. And, uh, you know, I could have told you day one. I mean, first time I ever saw a hashtag Black Lives Matter, I knew that it was going to cause more problems than it solved. I knew it because it was missing. It was missing a word. Right. And the word it was missing was Black Lives Matter, too, as in T-O-O. If that was a initial message, Danny, we'd be having a completely different discussion. Because people would be saying, "Well, of course," or they'd ask questions. Well, don't they? Well, what's the problem? Yeah. And when you made that finite statement and you eliminated every other race on the face of the earth, whether intentionally or not, you did. And now we're trying to color it and come around it. No, it's it's not the it's not a good package for it. And so but it's where it is now. And so we'll have to navigate what we have to work with and, uh, and see what we can do, you know, to make things better in a meaningful way.
0: Yeah. And that's a tough thing. I think a lot of people just don't know what to do. I know for me, you know, for seven days in a row on social across all my platforms with the policing in America episode, I was, you know, tagging black lives matter in that hashtag and right, wrong, or indifferent um, you know, the protests for one thing, they're not okay. I'm not even going there. But when those Los Angeles police officers were ambushed the other day and shot, and then you had people representing as black lives matter, like trying to block the ambulance in and chanting and things and like cheering for the fact that these human beings, police officers or not had been been shot and seriously injured. Um, that that becomes a problem. And and then you hear somebody says, well, you can't paint the whole movement off of that. And I'm like, well, that's what happened in Minneapolis to the police. I mean, it's kind of the, you know what I mean? And, right, and so it's, that doesn't put it in full context by any means, but, but like there was so much potential and there still is, but there was so much potential momentum to create all of this change but the, the violence and, and the protests and the devastation of property and life and then, you know, this, this ambush of two cops caught on video is just taken. Like you said, like I can't right now. I'm 100 percent like, look, social justice. We've got to fix a lot of these problems in their country so much deeper than the police. But I can't be tagging my stuff right now with Black Lives Matter because the association is terrible. You know what I mean? yeah
1: it is and that and that, and it's a shame but you're right and and again you know we have people doing these things anyone did that would do that has no interest in in social justice you know has no interest in making the country better this is just a criminal activity and oh I, now i'm now i have an excuse to do this and it's just but that's our society has been broken to that point where, where people think it's okay to, you know, take another human being's life and, you know, to rob and all these things. And I was, I was, uh, I was on a, I do a radio show every Friday and we were talking about some of this, not a, we kind of touched on it. in one of the questions that came up, but I told the host, I was like, you know what, I'm a co-host, but I'm like, you know what, if the police ever decide to go home, the union will fall. In the story, because people just don't understand that we have a union and every law and order and there's protection so that you have your homestead and you've got your wife and your children and you've built this nice home and And you're a woodworker, let's say, and whatever, there's not a gang of outlaws right up over the hill and take your wife and your daughters, kill all the men, burn the place down, and take all your supplies and ride off. Okay. That's what it used to be. And it's not that way anymore. And so, but people don't understand is that. You know, if you don't have law and order, then you'll have people that will take advantage of that in a major way and use it to gain and control power. And they'll do that through violence, intimidation, theft, all the things that people fear, literally. So, um, yeah, we need to, to do a better job in all areas, but, you know, we can't, we can't attack the people that are there to, to keep the union in place. And uh, that's just the reality of it. So.
0: Yeah. I think it, I think it um, is looking at it as you're kind of talking about too, like inclusive of all the issues instead of, cause you can fix the police hundred percent and that's not going to create social justice and social equity. No. Nope. That's not gonna eliminate racism or discrimination. No. Nope. Um, because there's so much of it in, in other areas. And the other thing I don't think we can forget is that we have made incredible, incredible strides. It is much different today than it was twenty-four years ago when I joined the city of Dixon. And and I want it to be completely fixed right now, right this instant. But a lot of the context this is being talked about in and is like we're we're still in the you know 1850s, um, you know, and and we're not, or we're in the the 1960s, and and we're not. I mean, and so you know, really just sitting down with calm heads and leadership from from all sides, and 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 looking at what are the real issues here, and how do we solve those issues is what's going to be productive. And then, like you said, I love what you said about, you know, hashtag black lives matter too. And, you know, T O O also, and, you know, opening conversations about that because just like straight and the simple Black lives matter. Um, I'm not offended by that because I've, 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 I've done enough research to understand it. So I'm totally cool with it. You know what I mean? Um, but a lot of people don't. That's the thing. A lot of people aren't going to take the time to understand it. And if your message automatically puts off, you know, half the population, then it's just like, as a leader in your company, if what you do divides your company and and puts off half of your team, what kind of a team or company are you going to have? You're not going to have much of one. So the words matter.
1: Yeah. they, They matter big time. They really do. And so, you know, and of course I understand that you understand that. And, uh, it's just different. And and then, you know, the leadership that we've had around all of this up to this point has been poor at best, you know, and I'm talking about an African-American community and, you know, this young man I was talking about to today, he's a good kid. You know, he's probably 27, 28 years old. You know, he's a good kid going through a rough stretch, you know, had some overt racism. And so he was upset about it, Danny. But I was able to show him that, hey, here's how we gently change the dialogue. And um, the way to change is to make the former way of thinking obsolete. Okay, when it's obsolete, nobody's going to go back to it. And, um, you know, I I don't know if you remember the Blackberries, man, you remember those Blackberry phones?
0: Oh yeah, I do. Yeah.
1: Dude, that was my favorite phone all the time. I love that phone. And when they stopped servicing it, I was upset, you know, like, what do you mean? I can't get another one. What do you mean? I can't get the, you know, like you won't, we don't support that product. And now if you tried to hand me a BlackBerry, uh, -uh, my, my, my iPhone, mm -mm, you can't, it's the BlackBerry's obsolete. So that's the way to, to get change. And, uh, I didn't want, I didn't want get let go of my blackberry because it had served me to that point so so we have to make it obsolete so i pointed out to him and he'd never heard this story and there's a book about this football game have you ever heard about this football game took place between usc and alabama early 70s uh i want to say late 60s early 70s but anyhow um i think it was around 70. anyhow USC was a powerhouse, and two-thirds of their team was African-American, big, fast, strong athletes. So Bear Bryant flew from Tuscaloosa. He set an appointment with John McKay, I believe it was, the coach of uh, USC. They met at the airport. You know, he didn't even go into the city. They met at the airport. and Bear Bryant said, hey, he offered them a pretty good lump sum of money to come to Tuscaloosa and play them. So they got a handshake agreement for the following season. Bear Bryant flew back to Tuscaloosa. This was a nationally televised game. I think they're both top 10. And, I mean, they handed it to Alabama. And Alabama was all white. And you know what happened the next year after that? Alabama's football team was integrated. If Bear Bryant would have went to the Regents and the Chancellor and demanded to integrate that team, he might have got run out of Tuscaloosa. He's smart. He said, we're going to play him. They got embarrassed on national. He knew they were going to get hammered because he's a football coach. They got embarrassed on national television. And then he was able to integrate his football team without incident. Okay. But if he'd have been up there poking people in the chest and I mean, maybe he was right in his message, but his delivery, but he was intelligent. And that's how And look at that team now. I mean, they're a powerhouse and they're, what, 90% African-American, I would guess. I mean, you know, they're just amazing. <clears throat> but that's how changes occur. Their former way of thinking was obsolete. And their fans are like, we can't have somebody come in there and hand it to us, hand it to us like that. And, and the whole nation saw it. We can't have that anymore. So, hey, you need to go out and recruit some of those kids. And that's what he was able to do. So that's such a great example. And, uh, you know, Bear Bryant was looking at it. Hey, I can win football games, but it was also socially the right thing to do. So he was able to get that done without resistance because he was smarter. And the people didn't even realize what had happened, right? And that's a, a monumental shift in that conference. So, uh, so that's, you know, I encourage this young man to, hey, this is how we have to do it. We have to be smart. And <clears throat> we approach it that way that's how you, you get lasting change, which he was in agreement with. So I'm pretty excited to see how that goes for him. But uh um uh, but yeah that's that's the real way to change and you know and I'm <coughs> and I'm um you know I'm here to to really bring people together and you know so well something happens to you. Well something happens to me. My videos are still out there. You know, my voice will still be positively impacting thousands of people on a daily basis. So So that's the way to do it. I'm one person. We just need more people doing the same thing and we'll get what, what, what needs to happen will occur smoothly. Right. So,
0: so many great examples of like, this is the power of leadership. This is, you know, leaders understand and know how to go about change in the right way, come at it from the right position, from the right angle they really, leaders really understand what the issue is. Um, and then then it becomes about, you
1: know, great, great vision as well to see what could be. You know, it's interesting. He went to K-State University. He transferred from a small college and he was born with uh, just two fingers on his left hand. And, uh, and he had received a lot of grief in his other former college about it. So he kind of went up there and did a tryout and made the team. And he said at the first team meeting, uh, Bill Snyder was a coach. He said the first team meeting, they had all the new people stand up and introduce themselves, you know, say a few words. And so um, he said, it came my turn. I said my, my, my bit. And I sat down. he said, uh, young man, would you please stand up again? So he's like, oh no, you know, it's already starting. So this is Bill Snyder. He says, hey, I want you all to take a look at this young man. Uh, he's uh, He's been blessed and born in a unique way and his body is constructed in a unique way and he's overcome that. And we're lucky to have him on this team and to be a valuable part of our family. He said, if I hear a word, other than that, other than he's not welcome, other than he's uniquely blessed and that he's welcome on in, the, in, in, in our family, he said, coach or player, that will be your last day as a Wildcat. Wow. I mean, that set the tone. And he sat down and went, wow, right? Right? That's leadership. Like he said, I will not accept it. So letting you know, if I hear it, it's your last day here. There's so much power and clear expectations. Clear, clear. And, you know, and that's where the leadership now, do you think they have racism and all that in that program? Absolutely not because the leader set the tone. And I don't know a lot about Bill Snyder and, you know, I know he could be tough and all those things, but I've heard so many monumental things like that, that that guy, that's why he's a legend uh, in that community. And uh, so it was really cool to hear that story and, and that's, that's, that's what we need to do. You know, it's just leaders act decisively and correctly and they're effective. Uh, not worrying about being right. You know, if you're effective, you're automatically going to be right. Yeah,
0: So powerful. So, so I got to ask you because, you know, um, we, we've had different conversations about leadership and, and about this crisis facing our country right now and the best ways to go about it. Are, are you comfortable with, the conversation we've had to this point, really being the focus of the podcast and talking about it, or do we want to transition to the making a difference topic?
1: Yeah, I'm comfortable. You know, I don't, yeah, I'm comfortable. And, uh, you know, it's an important topic. And, and my thing, Danny, is that I've really been disappointed in a lot of the messaging I've heard coming out of the African-American community. Um, the people are, that are, And I don't know what their intentions have been. Let's assume they're positive intentions. Their messaging hasn't been good in the way they've approached it. Um, And so I'm like, we have the wrong people speaking. And athletes are coming forward to speak because other people aren't, frankly. You know, I haven't heard from an executive at UPS or FedEx or, you know, places I worked. I'm talking about African-American executives. I haven't heard say anything, right? So these athletes are coming forward because people like me haven't. So it's really important that I don't ever, you know, duck that issue when the opportunity comes up to speak and be a voice of reason, because like I've said many times, I don't know who every time there's an issue that Al Al Sharpton is on CNN, he doesn't speak for me. You know what I mean? So I, I never, I didn't vote him in. And so I don't, I don't share a lot of his views, his attitudes. He doesn't speak for me, but people assume he does. And that's not right, you know? So, um, yeah. That's, well, having,
0: having incredible leaders, and, and, and I got to tell you, I've been following you for, for some time and listening to your messages. And for the listeners, if, you have, if you're not following Dr. Charlie Cartwright on LinkedIn and catching his dashcam wisdom, you're missing out. It's four to five minutes. He's got a video every day on, on all kinds of different topics. Uh, I think today's was on Believe, uh, you know, their Be First, Power of Positivity. You did a whole segment on controlling your elephant, the power of just showing up, uh, communication relationships, kindness is king. Like, Dr. Charlie has taken on um, so many important topics and things in everybody's lives and the things that are helping us succeed and the things that are stopping us succeed. And and for, for Dr. Charlie to offer his voice and his leadership on really the the greatest, one of the greatest issues facing our country. I mean, COVID's a pretty big issue facing our country right now, but I would argue, I mean, COVID's going to come and go. It's a big deal. I'm not downplaying it, but you know, social justice, racist, racial inequality, uh, racial justice, like these are all very big issues. And, and what I love is, is your insight into the idea that, hey, this isn't one person or one institution's job to take this issue on and fix it, because that's impossible. It's all of our job. And yeah, the cool. message and, and how we think about things and how we reframe them and reshape them, and, and you said early to, to start this, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? Dr. Charlie, the last time we talked, um, you were talking about a concept, and I, and I wrote it down in my notes, um, called victimhood and the perpetuation right. of this victimhood. Do you, you want to walk through that a little bit in that conversation?
1: Yeah, so the thing about victimhood is that as human beings, we embody our beliefs, right? And so what I mean by embody our beliefs is that we live it. Whatever we believe about ourselves and about others, we look through the world in that lens, through that lens. We look at ourselves through that lens. And so if we decide to be a, a victim instead of a victor, then we're going to view the world through that 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 lens. So somebody cuts us in tra- off in traffic, we're a victim. We get cut, somebody cuts in front of us at the, line in the grocery store, we're a victim. We lose a promotion, we're a victim, right? We get audited by the IRS, we're a victim. And so this victimhood starts to permeate our entire life. And we can't be victorious and a victim. They're two completely different mindsets. So the victor mindset says, hey, I was caught up, cut off in traffic. Hey, that's okay. My car is still intact. I'm going to get to my destination. Hey, somebody cut in front of me in line at the grocery store you know what they must have something on their mind they must have some urgency about them right i didn't get that promotion okay what can i do to make sure this doesn't happen again do i need to improve my skill set do i need to change jobs do i need to change organizations do i need to go start my own business because i know i'm worthy of that and so being a victim or a victor is a mindset you can't be both and i think the African-American community, there's been a lot of victimhood um, kind of installed or instilled, I would say, within the community. So. So then it's easy to say, hey, these things happen and I'm not saying they're terrible things that happen uh, within the history you know, of African-Americans in this country. There's no question. But now we've got a choice. Of, hey, am I gonna just live in the past and say, hey, we were brought here as slaves and we have no opportunity? Or am I gonna say, look at all the opportunities that have come into play? I got something right here in my hand, okay? My iPhone, this is called a level playing field, okay? Who's controlling the internet? Who's controlling your ability to leverage? Because there are three and a half billion smartphone users. Those are all potential customers. If you can come up with a product, an app, or whatever, no one's going to stop you from selling your product, service, song to the people that have this phone in their hand. So this is called a level playing field. right? And I have access to just about half the planet with this. And so to say that I don't have opportunity, I'm not leveraging the opportunities that I do have. So am I gonna go, am I gonna, am I gonna play in a place where I have a level playing field or am i gonna go to work for somebody where it's all an uphill battle? That's a choice, you know? And so it's a free country and uh, we've gotta leverage the opportunities that we have because it's huge. You know, my grandfather didn't have a smartphone. My grandfather didn't have an opportunity to get to three and a half potential three and a half billion potential clients and I can learn anything I want to learn about on the smartphone, right? I can learn how to build a car. I can learn how to build a cabin. I can learn how to build a business. I can learn how to build anything I want to by accessing the smartphone. Even if I don't have internet, I can go to the library. I can go to the public library and tap into their internet and get on my phone. You see, so that's my mindset there is looking at things about how can I overcome, how can I, how can I win, right? How can I win? And then going about doing that, that's my responsibility. It's not my fault that there's been inequities and equalities and injustice and all these things. That's not my fault, but it's my responsibility to do something about it to the best of my ability. So for me, that's being a positive example, and that's leveraging technology and the skills that I do have to make a positive difference. Uh, But if I sit around and uh, in victimhood, none of those things are going to take place that are positive.
0: And and for our listeners, you know, when I talked to you, Dr. Charlie, you you didn't have, you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Like you had a lot of challenge and adversity to overcome as as you grew up. You know what I mean? You, You were, it wasn't like, it wasn't like you were handed, you know, $2 million and, and the world was just yours, right? Like the mindset that you have and the way you look at the world has contributed to the success that you've created and the success that you've built through choosing what it is that, that you were going to do with your opportunity.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent, you know, definitely childhood was difficult. And you know, my father, I don't, you know, I, I have no idea why he bela- behaved the way he did and the inner demons that he had, but he had them. You know, he struggled with alcoholism, there's domestic violence, there's a lot of things that were devastating to the family. And then, you know, growing up in the the 60s, right? In the early 70s, you know, there was a a lot of uh, racism in the Midwest that was very uh, evident. And, you know, I had to deal with it every day, like kind of in your face racism. So that was a tough time when you're a kid, you just, you're born into a world. You just don't understand. I don't understand why my father's mistreating me. I don't understand why somebody driving past in a pickup truck that I don't know is mistreating me. You know, I'm six years old and I'm being threatened at home. I'm being threatened on my way to school. I'm just trying to go to school. And that was a difficult time. And, you know, I had some, time in my life where, you know, I had a lot of anger around those things, but again, it's not effective. And so I had to make a choice. Am I going to be an angry black man or I'm going to do something about these things and make something positive uh, out of my life? And I chose, you know, the positive uh, approach and it's so much better.
0: How did you, dealing with those things, right? Because, and this is one of the things that I try to to talk about, especially with my friends who are white, is like, we have to, I really believe, it's one of my leadership laws and rules, it's Stephen Covey's fourth habit, seek first to understand. We truly have to understand where people are coming from. We, instead of just hearing the words that are being used, we have to listen for what the meaning is, you know, and, you know, but it's just unfathomable to me for you to be talking about a situation where you're six years old and and the struggles you're dealing with at home, but then but then you leave home and it, it is the hate just because the color of your skin.
1: Yeah I remember an incident and you know it's, it's it kind of brings me to an emotional place and so I apologize I get a little emotional on this but um, I was walking to school <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'm halfway to school and this truck slows down and their windows are rolling down. And so I didn't know if they're going to ask me for directions or what, but, you know, I looked and, and then they just, you know, started really verbally assaulting me. And so, you know, I was afraid and I I was thinking about running back home, but then I was like, you know, it's kind of in between halfway between school and home. I was thinking about running back home, but I knew my parents weren't home because I was a latchkey kid. And then I said, so then I bolted and ran towards the school because I knew there's a lot of people there. And you know, that's not a choice that a six year old should have to make, you know, and these people were, you know, I mean, it's probably 40 something year old white man and maybe a 20 something year old white man. I was six And so I can't imagine that happening to my son or anyone, their son or their grandchild or their, their nephew experiencing that. And then I go to school. Well, how focused was I that day? You know, did I learn anything that day? Probably not. Right. And then I go home and then, you know, then you got your alcoholic father there. And so I was really confused and afraid and internalized so many things. So you can see why all of a sudden when I get to middle school age and someone says something to me, you know, I'd respond violently. Uh, And a kid called me a name or something. And I was, I was, uh, (laughs) I would respond violently. And I remember the principal suspending me, right? So I get suspended twice. The third time I got into a fight with the kid and he said, Hey, uh, I'm not going to suspend you. He said, cause I noticed you always fight on on a Thursday He said, so I'm giving you a a, a three-day weekend. And so, because I would wait. I'm like, well, I'm not going to, I'll wait till Thursday. I get kicked out of school. I don't have to come. I got a three-day weekend. I actually thought that. So he said, so you're going to sit in this office, you know, and you're going to think about it, and I'm not going to send you home. So it was embarrassing sitting in the principal's office, and kids would come in, and they're looking at you, and you're sitting there. And uh, I remember going to a football practice, right? I had all this anger. I saw some kid, boom, you know, you lower the boom and tackle them. And my coach was like, good job. And it clicked. I was like, Oh man, I don't have to fight anymore. I just, I just remember these people when they say things to me that I don't like. And then when practice starts I'll, I'll go after them. And that's what I did. And I became a very, very good football player, dominant in fact, but it was fueled by all this anger and rage I had built up. So it was, uh, that was challenging, so, and it's just not something that a six-year-old should um, have to deal with, Um, and so it was, you know, it was very challenging to come out of that mindset of anger, and, you know, I carried that mindset, you know, into my 30s, really into my 30s, and, but thankfully, you know, you have some adult men, you know, that, look at you and say, come here, let me, let me have a conversation with you. Let me talk to you. And Do you really want to live this way? You know, do you really want to, you know, you know, talk to people this way? They don't know you and you're, but you're putting people off because of your attitude and uh, and it, you know, got me to thinking and I wanted to be better and I wanted to be, uh, you know, a good person and I wanted to be liked and all those things, but for the right reasons. So that started this journey probably 25 years ago, this journey that that led me to where I am now. But thankfully, you know, no one canceled me, you know, some people counseled me instead of canceling me. And, uh, that led me to where I am now. So I try to return the favor. To, to young men and that talk to, to talk with me
0: it sounds like you're doing that a hundred times fold the the work that you're doing so so all of this struggle and, and I just want people listening to this conversation to know that this is this is one this is one very real situation of Of situations that have happened to hundreds of thousands of people, that that has been that has built us towards the moment that we're at today, and the the courage and the strength and the leadership for you to share that story and to go back to that moment is so so powerful, and I hope I hope it gives perspective to, to 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 people who've never experienced this before to understand the bigger picture and also to, to really connect with people who have had those experiences and think about, you know, the way you feel may be right, but, but what is the impact or the result? We, we want the impact or the effect or the result. And, and Dr. Charlie not only are you a doctor, right? And you've, 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 you've risen to that level, but you have over 20 years of experience in leadership within Fortune 500 companies.
1: Yeah, yeah. 10 years UPS and 10 years of FedEx. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, and that,
0: you know, I just sit here blown away by you, your perspective, your leadership, what you've overcome, right? Because overcoming where you came from and all the different challenges and struggles and all these things that, hey, I'm just going to say it out loud, that that white people can't understand, right? And I just asked people in this time, and I asked the white people listening to, let's just really dig in and really understand that, that this story about Dr. Charlie at six years old is one of many different things of racism that he experienced growing up, but but he is one of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who, who have experienced the same thing. And so as we come together to, to solve these complex issues facing our country and to really not just be against racism, to be anti-racism, to be intolerant of racism, um, we, we re- it really, for me, it's so important that we truly understand it so we can speak intelligently to our friends and and as Dr. Charlie's, he speaks and talks and mentors and reshapes and reframes and shares his experience and stories and gives his guidance on how to approach things to make real meaningful impact. Um, we, you know, as as non-black members of society, we have to fully understand that and bring that to the table to do our part.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great message. And I, you know, I would add a couple of things. One is. That story I just told you, I told my mother that story not more than two months ago. She's mortified. She didn't know about it. Well, it was so commonplace that I didn't come home and talk about it. It happened that often. It wasn't isolated. So that's a that's a big deal there. But I think also in this context of all of us solving this issue, resolving this issue, and and you know I was talking to a young man today about this. He just had a lot of frustration for all this, these recent racism he's experienced in his business, and I was telling him that you know when there's an uh, amazingly emotional place that people go to, you know there's three psychological states. There's there's the fight. You know people come out fighting. There's flight. They run away, and then there's fro. They freeze. Right. They're they are deer in the headlights, and so there are a lot of people. I'm talking about white people that feel deer in the headlights. Like, I want to help, but I don't know what to do. And so I was explaining to this young man, so you've got somebody deer in the headlights. That's not the time to poke them with a stick. Because you poke them with a the stick, you're pushing them into most likely fight or or best case scenario, flight. If you have someone deer in the headlights, I don't know what to do. Now I can gently take your hand and guide you. Okay. And then you're like, okay, thanks for getting me out of that and and let's have a discussion. So people are afraid to say anything because if I say the wrong thing, someone's going to jump down my throat and I don't want that. So I'm going to, I'm not going to participate at all in the discussion. And so that's counterproductive. So, you know, and I uh, you know, encourage, you um, know, African-American people in this discussion, you know. We've got to realize that, and people just don't know. They don't, they, they didn't live in your shoes, they don't know what your experience was, and when you can explain it to them, then they're like, oh, wow, I get it. That resonates with me, I can, now, how? what can I do? Well, things like what we're doing right now is having the discussion and just making sure those things don't continue to get perpetuated uh, in our society. Um, And, uh, you know, you got to influence the younger people. We need to influence our children. And um, I was just talking, I was at a men's retreat this weekend. And I was talking and, you know, you hear these men who've struggled in relationships and and how they're coming out of that, right, and improving. And so I was talking to a, a man and he had some similar experiences with his father. And he's realizing it and improving his life and his health and everything. Uh, But he didn't recognize how much that had hurt him. And I was telling him, I said, yeah, my father built this house of pain, right? He built this house of pain for me, you know, and I'm burning it down. Okay. It's not going to, I'm not passing that on to my kids, you know, and uh, that's what needs to happen. So in a positive way.
0: In a positive way. Dr. Charlie, when we spoke, uh, the the last time we spoke, you were talking about some of the mindset and some of what you share. And I want to transition to a little bit about the interaction with police. And, um, and one thing you said that was really powerful is when you're pulled over by the police, you talked about you intentionally are diffusing the situation and, and you talked about some messages you share with, with young black men would you is it would you be willing to walk us through that because i thought that was so
1: powerful yeah so i i just don't know what this officer that's approaching to my car has been through today he could have just come from a murder scene crime scene i don't know so i don't know what his or her mindset is as they approach the vehicle so what i want to do is get them on their way, right? They've got bigger fish to fry, they got other things to think about, so I wanna get them on the way. So I wanna make sure that if I'm assuming that they've come from something that's not fun, and so I wanna deescalate them, right? So the way I deescalate them is to make sure that they know right away that I'm not a threat, okay? Because the only place a threat can come from, for me, is my hands, and so my hands are visible, okay? 10 and 2 o'clock. This is for anyone, okay? It's not just for young black men or women. This is for anyone. My hands are 10 or 2 o'clock. My driver's license and my proof of insurance are already in my hand, okay? And so they approach the window. They explain to me why, why they've stopped me, I, they, and they automatically see, I see your you have your driver's license, proof of insurance, can I have that? Yes. I hand it over. Then my hands go back to the steering wheel. This is what happens every time. They look, you can go ahead and put your hands down down now, sir. And then they say, okay, well, I need to run this. I'll be right back and get you on your way. They go back, run it and say, hey, your tail light or whatever the reason, you know, is they stop me and be safe, have a good every time. Because I've de-escalated them. Now their brain can work on the real problems. But if they come to my car and I become the real problem, now all of a sudden I'm getting all this attention and they're wondering. And so I just I just make sure that they know that I'm not a threat. Period. And you know, yes sir, no, sir, yes ma'am, no man, that's any authority figure, right? And so I let them go on their day and they go they go along their way. And so it's been a very effective and 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 then I try to you know, obey the traffic laws and things like that. So I, I, I minimize my my exposure, but it's really a simple process, and that's not something that I learned in school, right? Uh, you know, my grandfather taught me that. Okay, and uh, but every father should teach their son that and their daughters that. So it just it's it's just the best way thing for everyone. I want to help this officer do their job.
0: The, one of the things that really resonates with me, and I know, and I agree with you, it's that kind of a mindset is best for white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Muslim, males, females, but the truth is, as we understand some of the issues around policing and African Americans, is that is that the majority of the time, things like this are being taught to black Americans While what's being taught to white Americans when we grow up is the police are your friend, and they're here to help you. Right. Right? And so I also want to, as we frame and and we shape this for community leaders, for white people, for black people, for police officers, for, for whoever it is, to understand the fact that there has to be a thought or a mentality towards that and passed on, and that it is prevalently passed on you know, more so probably disproportionately, I would say an African-American community just signifies the, the, the problem. And, and I don't know the answer to, to this question when I ask you, so I'm not setting it up. But um, how many times, you know, would you say you've been pulled over and, and not for doing 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, right? Like not excessively violating any laws. It has has being stopped frequently been something that you've had to deal with, you know, coming up through through your life?
1: Um, so I'm 56. Been driving since I was, so I've been driving 40 years, and I would say I've probably been stopped over 100 times, over 100 times, um, and. Two of those times I was speeding, <laughs> so I got the ticket. Um, and I remember one time I was in Lincoln. This is in the early '80s. I was a football player in Lincoln, Nebraska. In Lincoln, Nebraska, actually. And uh, I had bought a car that, um, like the, the week before i bought a car in kansas and i had in transit tags so the tags hadn't come in yet so i didn't have them yet so i had in transit tags on my car and then uh i remember you know i was excited i had this car and so me and my old roommate we were gonna go to a movie go to dinner and go to a movie so it's on a friday night and between like 7 p.m and like 9 p.m i think i've been pulled over like six times six. I mean, nothing happened, but the fact of the matter is I got pulled over six times in two hours. And my roommate was starting to say stuff. And I'm like, dude, it's quiet, you know, and, and, uh, and I was, you know, and then finally, I think maybe the fourth officer said, listen, you know, there's not much going on in this town. Most of the force is out on traffic. Next time somebody pulls you over, just hand them this. And, you know, And that's what happened. But I did get pulled over six times. I don't know that a lot of people have had that experience. I've been pulled over six times. I remember going through some small towns in Kansas, maybe around that same time frame. And I remember there's a little stretch off of Highway 81, a couple of small Kansas towns. I remember getting pulled over like four times, you know, within a few hours. And I wasn't doing it, you know, and nothing happened. But again, I got pulled over. So, uh, so yeah, it's a it's a different probably uh, reality than a lot of people have faced. Well, yeah, and I, I
0: tell you, it's a it's a completely different experience. I'm 45 years old, um, so I've been driving for for almost 40 years, and uh, no, 30 years, and uh, and that's a completely different experience. And you know, at a time I've had a lead foot, so the times I've been pulled over, I earned that. But I, I just want to bring to life as we talk about the duty and responsibility of everybody, right? I just want to be fair and balanced to the idea that there are real issues, there are problems. Um, and in my my conversation with Kristen Zeman, the Royal Illinois Police Chief, uh, was titled "Policing in America." We we were very real and upfront about what those issues are fame long. Uh, Facing law enforcement, what our duty and responsibility were. But what I love about this conversation is the is it's all of our responsibility, and and it is the job of all leaders. And it is incredibly effective when you have very strong black leaders coming forward, providing that real leadership, providing the messages you are, and the impact that that has on this. Because at the end of the day, I believe. And I, I'll hesitate to say we all, but ninety percent of America wants to get past this issue and wants everybody to be treated fair and equally, right? With with the same opportunity, whether it be at work or in your community, the the same interaction with the police, um, the education system, whatever that is. And so we got to have real conversations like this to get there. And, you know, I'm not going to identify as well uh, with, with some who I know the, of, of young black males who, who may listen to this or other black leaders. And I definitely affiliate very well with, with, with our minority community here. I've built that and those relationships because that's important to do. Um, but, but hearing from, from a leader or somebody who looks like them, it's just so powerful. Yeah. Right, it's so powerful. But I also want to give the the message. This is a leadership podcast, and and for for all of our white leaders, I and I was struggling with this early on, trying to figure out my words, right, and not overreact one way or another. In in my overreaction, probably would have been towards. There's just so much more reform that needs to be done in policing, okay? Um, because that's what I ran on when I became vice president of the Illinois Chiefs. Um. But but we have to really become in tune and 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 dial in to these issues because they're real. You know, they're 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 very they're very real issues. And so I lost my train of thought there for a second, Dr. Charlie. I'll be honest. So I was struggling with finding my voice. And is it appropriate for me as a white male leader to be talking about this? And then Adam Grant, if you don't know Adam Grant, I'm sure Dr. Charlie knows who Adam Grant is, but he's an organizational psychologist. Um, He's a little less well-known than Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek refers to him as his worthy rival when he talks about the infinite game. But, But Adam Grant talked about it is the duty and responsibility of the majority group in control to speak up and to do so loudly to help break down the walls for those who aren't. And in this case, he's talking about um, white male leaders, also equally important for black male leaders. But he, he referenced the idea in an article he wrote and in a couple of social posts he put out there that when women come forward and talk about gender discrimination or when, when black people in the workforce come forward and talk about racial discrimination, oftentimes they're looked at unfavorably, right? But when male leaders, white male leaders, come forward and do the same thing, they're looked at as heroes and champions. And so I'm not saying they are. So don't, don't take that that way. I'm just saying what this very well-respected organizational psychologist talked about who's got you know over a million followers and his different social platforms. And so as a white leader, if you're wondering if, if you're supposed to step up and say something and speak out against racism, you are you are, you know, and, and we need to partner with our, our black leaders. And so male, female, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, Muslim doesn't matter. It is all our duty and responsibility to lift our voice in, in this manner and to have conversations just, just like these, your thoughts on that, Dr. Charlie.
1: Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. It's interesting. About two months ago, I had opportunity to speak to a group of law enforcement here in a small uh, Kansas community. Two communities came together and brought me in. And we really had a great discussion. And all the officers were white. And uh, there were some uh, EMS folks as well and and fire. And the question from one of the officers came was, hey, what's the solution, Dr. Charlie? Is it funding? Is it more government programs? I mean, what do you think? What do you see as the solution? and i was like you know that's a great question and here's the thing if the problem could have been solved by the african-american community alone it would be okay so it's not so that means it's going to take all of us so i had a a family move into town and you know there was a, a kid's father that i really respected right? I looked up to and I decided, um, I decided I want to be like him. So that man got a kid. So I told these officers, I need you to go in and get a kid. I need you to go in and get a kid. I need you to go in and get a kid. How you do that, it could be on a football team, softball team, flag football, YMCA. I need you to get a kid. I need to go get three or four kids and and go and, and continue that. That's how we, we, we resolve it because if you have a kid, that's born into this situation and they're born into a dysfunctional family and they're born into a dysfunctional neighborhood and into a dysfunctional community, the odds are against that kid. He doesn't know or she doesn't know better. And the messaging that he or she is receiving all these years are coming up. Then they get to be of adult age and they start acting out and they've had this indoctrination for lack of a better term. So um we we all got to get a kid. And if we do that, the problem will be resolved, right? Because of the sheer numbers that we're talking about. So uh that was you know that was my my thought on that and that wow. it t- it's going to take all of us.
0: It's going to take all of us the the, the deeper issues when when you start looking at a lot of things and a lot of issues and a lot of problems, a lot of it comes down to socioeconomics and, and disparity there. Um, and, and and African-Americans are by population size, disproportionately falling into lower socioeconomic status. My dad um, grew up in the, the South side projects of Peoria, Illinois. Peoria is, a town of about 110,000 people. I think it was the second biggest city in the state at the time. It's not any longer. His dad was an alcoholic. His mom died when he was 15. To um, to play baseball, they were so poor. His brother actually stole a baseball glove from somewhere, so so he could play. And when you look at my dad's family, and you know, one brother and um, and, and three sisters. There's he's the only one that pulled himself out of that poverty. It, this is a real thing, and it's so hard to do. And as you're sharing and, and speaking, man, wide open from your heart, Dr. Charlie, I can't tell you how how, how much I appreciate you doing that and the value that, that, that this will add for people as we look and take on this problem. But it, it's a major thing, and it's not just – socioeconomic, it's broken family structure. It's, you know, you look at, you know, I've been in the the city of Chicago when I was a police officer looking for people on, you know, like murder charges and stuff like that, who'd done things out here. And you go into what look like war zones, really. And how do you ever pull yourself out of there? And so these neighborhoods and these structures, like there's so many bigger things and it's going to take all of us. And then i'm drawn to the idea that you know this idea that love always overcomes hate and peace always overcomes violence and then i'm drawn to you know dr martin luther king and his firm stance there honestly hatred just breeds hatred and actually destroy hatred destroys hate right like it destroys whoever's holding it where it is is love is the and understanding is the place that, that we got to come from. And, and I think anybody listening to this conversation is, is, is if they don't fully understand this topic or been exposed to it in this way is going to have a much different understanding. And, and you, when conversations are great, Dr. Charlie, but if people don't have perspective and they don't have wisdom, what do they mean? Right. And so I think that you've added incredible perspective and wisdom on, on, on what I think is, you know, the number one or, or, you know, one of the the very top crisis, you know, facing our nation and dividing our nation.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. So I had some thoughts on what you said about Dr. King's statement. And because it's come into my radar, you know, in these past few months. And he said that, you know, love was the only thing powerful enough to, to destroy hate right and it's so interesting because he said that okay so you're talking 1950s 1960s he said that you go back to abraham lincoln's time and after the civil war and he spoke about he was speaking about embracing you know our our our, our southern citizens And a woman at the speech questioned him. And she says, you're asking us to embrace our enemies. And he said, Madam, if I turn my enemies into friends, are my enemies not destroyed? Wow. Not defeated, destroyed. Because if you defeat an enemy, guess what? They're going to regroup. They're going to come back. You got to fight them again. But if an enemy is destroyed, it's over with. There's no more fighting. Matter of fact, if we turn an enemy into a friend. They're now an ally. Okay. So I'm a big Sun Tzu fan. And it's the art of war and all those things. And I'm not for war, uh, but for the strategy behind it. And it's a thick book, if you've ever come across it, to read it and it's all of this strategy about warfare and land and leadership and there's so much there but he said the supreme art of war is to win without fighting wow so from martin luther king to abraham lincoln to sun tzu the greatest warrior wins without fighting And it's up to us to turn our enemies into friends. And when we do that, our enemies are automatically destroyed. Wow. And that's the way to do it.
0: Dr. Charlie so powerful. I think that is a perfect way to to bring to end this discussion. And to keep it, because I could just talk to you all day, but to keep it in a format that when people see it, they'll click on it and they'll listen to it, and the impact it'll drive because of your leadership, um, just just so incredible. I, I really appreciate the way you've opened up, your vulnerability, the, the stories you've shared, your perspective, your openness, uh, as, we, as we, as a country, take on this, this very difficult issue. I think, I think you said some things here at the end But that's the simplicity of it if we'll just do it, if we choose to just do it. Thank you so, so much for joining me.
1: Really appreciate the opportunity to be your guest. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome, awesome. To our listeners, uh, thank you for joining us today. If you listen on Apple and enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing, uh, leaving a rating, potentially a review, sharing with your network. That helps us reach and help more people. Thank you for joining us today, and remember, always be committed to excellence.